0: This may be familiar to you. You may have heard it once or twice before. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and, help me out here, the pursuit of happiness, right? We have it built into our Declaration of Independence that we have the right to pursue happiness. But the psalm that we're going to look at this morning is essentially going to say, when you seek out to pursue righteousness, or excuse me, pursue happiness, you aren't going to find it. It's like a fog. It's like a vapor. You go and grab it, and it's not there. And interestingly enough, the psalm that we're going to look at basically addresses happiness. It addresses how and where we'll find it. So that's where we want to go this uh, morning. The book of Psalms is what we're focusing on, and, and if you're new to Hope Church, we're encouraging everyone to take this book, the Bible, to open it up daily, to read a portion of it, and to reflect upon it. It's our daily bread, <laughs> and that's what Jesus said, it's the daily bread, and so we're encouraging people to do that, and I'm preaching through the Old Testament right now, and we're moving into the experiential books. The first one is the book of Psalms. There are 150 Psalms. And by the way, when you, think of, when you name a Psalm, like if you're, I mentioned Psalm 22, it's Psalm 22, not Psalms 22. It's the book of Psalms, and it's the 22nd Psalm. And think of this Psalms as the book of Psalms as the hymnal of the nation of Israel. It's a psalm book, essentially what it is. And there are a number of interesting characteristics. Psalm 90 was written by Moses, talks about what it's like to be old and uh, what he learned. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago and we said Psalm 51 is a psalm of confession where David is confessing after he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. Psalm 34 is a psalm that David wrote when he was uh, fleeing from Abimelech. Uh, uh, Abimelech. Psalm 23 speaks of God being a good, great shepherd. And David, is uh, growing up as a shepherd boy, knew what it meant to be a shepherd. So now he's saying, there, I was a good shepherd, but there's a great shepherd. And a great shepherd carries me. I'm one of his sheep. So David no longer pictured himself as the shepherd, but as the sheep of the great shepherd. Psalm 23. Psalm 22, we made reference to, which speaks about, I think, about the coming Messiah who would die on a cross and give his life. The book of Psalms contains Hebrew poetry, and I don't really have a lot of time to get into it, only to say that it's not like our English poetry. Jack and Jill went up the hill to catch a pail of water. Jack fell down, broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. And that's our idea of poetry, so to speak, or rap music carries poetry, apparently. And, um, yeah, that ages me a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> but Hebrew Hebrew poetry is not really interested in, in rhyming. It has things, it, basically it has what, It's called Hebrew parallelism, and I don't want to bore you with that, other than to say, well, let me give you an illustration of it. Psalm twenty-seven, one says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Those two phrases are saying exactly the same thing, just in a slightly different way. That's called uh, Hebrew parallelism. Psalm 1 is the psalm we want to look at. And I want to just read Psalm 1 to you, and then we'll move through it. So we have chair Bibles. If you're here and you don't, didn't bring a Bible, you can look in the chair Bible. The pages will be up on the screen. But let me read it to you. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. There's an incredible contrast in verse uh, 4. Not so the wicked. The Hebrews almost, not so the wicked. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff. The wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked know, will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, that last verse, verse 6, the, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's actually the overall theme of the psalm, but it's really the overall theme of the book of Psalms, because really the book of Psalms is describing two paths. You can get on this path or you can get on this path. Those are the two paths. And so that's essentially what the psalm is laying out. So what I want to do this morning with the rest of our time is this. I want to share four, like what I think are four principles of happiness that I think this psalm gives us. And so we'll just go down those four and hopefully we'll come out of here and you'll leave and you'll say, okay, I think I have a better grasp of where to find happiness because after all, I'm an American and I have the right to pursue happiness, okay? So there you go. All right, so here's the first one. Happiness is possible. It says, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the young person. So the idea there, the psalmist is saying blessed, another word for blessed is happy is the person. (laughs) This is the happy person. Um, The the psalmist is describing two ways to to walk. You can walk this way or you can walk that way. But here's what he's saying here. When we begin life, I think we all have the expectation that we're going to be happy. I think, generally speaking, we think happiness is just something. It's our lot to be happy. And some of you are here, and you're pretty happy people. And that's good. But some of you really haven't lived yet. You're young, and there's some maybe people who are a little more weathered and they would say, you know what, I've given up on happiness. Life's been hard. I've gotten some dings in life. I've got more than a ding. I gotta rear end it. <laughs> you know, I mean I life I've given up the idea that you can be happy. I'm just trying to survive. Maybe you're hearing you that's you. I'm just trying to survive. But some of you say, No, no, we're gonna be happy and they're just going to look at you and say, well, maybe you ought to live a little bit. Let life ding you up a little bit. Come back and talk to me in 10 years and go through a little bit of hardship and then we'll see whether you think you can still be happy. But the psalmist is very clear. The psalmist is saying you can find happiness in this life. You can find it. It is, it is there. Um, there is a blessed life out there. It is possible And this is really important. It's possible that you can rise above your circumstance. Your circumstances don't have to determine your happiness. That's essentially what the psalmist is going to show us. So that's the first thing, that happiness is possible. Secondly, happiness is an inside job. Notice he says, he will be like this person, this blessed, this happy person. It's like a tree planted by streams of water. Here's here's the point I really want you to take away. And I think really essentially what the psalmist is pointing to. True happiness is not determined by your circumstances. It's found in who you are. It's found in where you place your roots. Where have you put your roots? Uh, He says a happy person is like a tree planted by a stream of water. The roots go deep. It can draw refreshing no matter what the season. It doesn't matter if there's a drought because the roots go deep and it can find the water. It can find the streams. And and essentially what the psalmist is saying is the only way that you're going to be able to experience happiness in a world where the seasons are always changing, where it's dry and arid and there's no rain for maybe a long time, maybe that describes your life, is your roots have to go deep down into the stream. Now, what does that mean? It essentially means this. If you expect to find happiness in the externals of this world and this life, you're going to be disappointed. If you think you're going to find happiness in possessions or in this perfect relationship out there or in accomplishments, you're going to be disappointed. I mean, I remember the interview Tom Brady did when he had won, I don't know what, what number, Super Bowl ring. And he's married, I think last time I checked, he's a millionaire. And last time I checked, his wife makes more than him. And oh, last time I checked, she's a supermodel. I mean, it's like it's like the triple crown for a guy or something. And what was it? What were the words that he said on 60 Minutes? I don't know. Feels like there's something missing. So I mean, that's the best that the world can offer. True happiness, though, is not found in. Finding the right relationship or accomplishing this certain thing, it will never be that way. It will never be in the externals. It's always going to be from within. And I don't mean from within that you do the Zen thing where you go, hmm, that's not what I'm talking about. You'll see that very clearly in a moment. I'm saying that true happiness is found in your inner core self and it's found in you, under you, where you place your roots. What, what the psalmist is saying is you need to become a certain kind of person. I think we have a flawed view. We have a flawed view. He, he's saying something pretty essentially important because what he's saying is this is a different kind of person we're talking about the person that says the circumstances are in life aren't really going really smoothly. They're going, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But they're generally happy through all of it. They generally have joy. They're generally upbeat. Why? Because they're a different kind of person. What I'm describing would be, he, he talks about this man who doesn't walk in this path of the wicked. He doesn't stand. He doesn't sit. He's a different kind of person. There's a different kind of allegiance. It's a Christian. Now, when I use the word Christian, I have to define what I mean. I'm not talking about somebody who was raised in a Christian home. I'm not talking about somebody who says, I believe in God, though it could be that. I'm not talking about somebody who's very religious I'm not talking about somebody who follows some traditional rules that are laid out, whether it's by a church or family or whatever it is. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who has made a commitment to Jesus Christ because Jesus made a commitment to them on the cross. And and they realize that Jesus made an all-out, I'm giving my life for you commitment, and they made the same commitment back to him, and something changed in their life inside of them. Jesus described it to a woman as a a, a well that would come bubbling out like an artesian well. He described it to Nicodemus and he said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. He says, what do you mean, go back into my mother's womb? No, you idiot. He's not an idiot. He says there needs to be a spiritual rebirth. But when that rebirth happens, everything changes. Your roots go down deep. You're rooted in someone This is the way Jesus put it in John 15. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit. By itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That's the inner self I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a Zen, find your inner person. I'm talking about find Christ within you. Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to give you my spirit. He will dwell with you. He will be within you. And that's what I'm talking about. We're talking about a new birth. We're talking about being connected to a vine. And Jesus is the vine, that we're the branches and he's the vine. We, we draw our, our life, our perspective, our everything from him. We're talking about putting our, 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 our roots down deep so that they hit the stream. And the stream is Christ. The stream is Christ. The tree will still be affected by the weather, but the leaves will remain. In other words, you can still rejoice even though you're on deep heaviness. A time of drought doesn't wither because the roots go deep. It's kind of like the evergreen. This is the way Jeremiah the prophet puts it in Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord, He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear heat when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear. You know what this is saying? The same thing. The psalmist is saying the same thing Jesus said in the New Testament. Basically, he's saying you don't have to be driven by your circumstances. A relationship with God, having the Spirit of God within you, drawing upon the strength of God, having that within you helps you rise above the circumstances so that you can have joy in the midst of difficult times. You can have happiness in the midst of difficult times. The psalmist is really showing us how we rise above our circumstances. It's by sinking our roots deep down, connecting to the vine, drawing life and perspective from Jesus, You see, it's not just drawing life from Jesus, it's drawing perspective from Jesus. That's so important. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Happiness is not an end. It says he delights uh, in the law of the Lord. The, the, the truth here is this, and I know that this goes against what I first read you, that it's our right to pursue happiness. But I think essentially what the psalmist is saying is if you pursue happiness... You'll never find it. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? Hey, yeah. Well, if I get this job, if I get this relationship, if I get this, I'll be happy. And then you get it, and you go, "I thought it'd be better than that. <laughs> I thought you'd be better than that. <laughs> You're not." <laughs> uh, Jesus said it this way in Matthew six thirty three. He says, "Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and He'll give you everything you need." You see, Jesus is saying something. The psalmist is saying, he's saying, don't seek happiness, seek him. Seek his righteousness, seek his kingdom, and you get happiness thrown in. (laughs) C.S. Lewis wrote, C.S. Lewis, I think, uh, wrote it the best, and here's what C.S. Lewis said. He says, aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you you won't get either. Let me read that one more time. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And that's absolutely true. And that's what what the psalmist is saying. You see, if you make your main objective to be happy, you'll not find it. The less concerned you are about happiness and the more concerned you are about him, the more happiness you will have. When you focus on him, you see, and that's really what communion is really meant to do. It's meant to take our eyes off of our problems and to look to the cross and to see what does the cross say? What does the gospel say to us? It says really two essential truths at the same time, two sides of the coin. It says you're a sinner and you're in desperate need to be saved. You can't save yourself. You're helpless and hopeless until you come to that fact. You'll never look for a savior, let alone call upon one. But there is a savior and he got off of his throne and he came to earth and he gave his life. That's what it says. He gave his life for you and he said it is finished. The other side of the coin, this is, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. The other side of the coin is, but I'm loved. I'm loved by, I'm loved enough that God would get off of his throne, come to earth and on a cross for me. I'm so loved that he would do that for me. That he would give his life, willingly give his life, knowing what he was going to go through for me. And we meditate on that. And we reflect upon it during communion. I'm a sinner, but I'm loved. I'm a sinner, but I'm loved. The gospel. And we reflect upon that. And we just we are driven to our knees. And we say, I owe you everything. You owe me nothing. The other thing, too, about the pursuit of happiness, it will lead to sin. Let me just give you one illustration. You say to a person, I give you my word. I'll do this for you. Have you ever done that? And then you didn't do it? How did you break your promise? Something better came up. Something more important came up. Sometimes it's my own happiness. I promise that I will pay you back all the money that you gave me. But I really want to buy this. So I'm not going to pay you back. My happiness is more important. Or You, 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 you basically say, I always tell the truth. Unless it doesn't mean that it's going to work out good for me, then I'll lie because my value, my highest value, is my happiness. So the pursuit of happiness just can lead you to just say, I believe ethically I should, I'm going to, notice I said, I should tell the truth. That's the way we have it built in. I'll maybe tell the truth if it works out for my happiness, but my happiness is uh, paramount. Here's the last thing. Happiness is a choice. It says, blessed is a man who who walks not, stands not, sits not, but delights in the Lord. You have to, every one of us has to make a choice of allegiance. We have to, the the idea there, the psalmist, the picture is very interesting. First they're walking, then they're standing. In other words, they're stopping, they're kind of looking at it. Then they're sitting down. And, And essentially what it says is where you sit is where you belong. You reflect the company you keep. You've got to find out who you belong to. Who are you sitting with? Who who where? You, you know you're, you're walking, you're standing, and you're sitting. Who are you seated with today? What is the most important thing? It, really, really the question is what captures your heart and soul today. What is it? Another way to look at it is this. What if this one thing was taken from you and your life would fall apart? That's what you're sitting with. Could be your beauty. Could be a relationship. Could be this. And you say, if I lost that, life would be over for me. I couldn't, I couldn't bear to live anymore. Psalm 1 says, a blessed person, the happy person, is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Now, that sounds legalistic. And, and I don't think it, it's meant to be that way. I think it's, like I said, I think it's delighting in the gospel. I think it's delighting in that you're loved, that you're his child, that you're, you're favored by him, that he sent his son, that there's forgiveness, that there's hope, that delighting in it, reflecting on it. And that's why it's so important. When you give your full allegiance to Jesus as king, and when you begin to reflect on what he's done for you, you find your new inner joy and happiness begins to grow. And that's why it's so important to daily reflect on the scriptures. Because it shows you who God is. It shows you who you are. It shows you what his plan is for this world. And more importantly, maybe in your, from your perspective, where, what his plan is for you. It shows you how much he loves you. It shows you that he's got a plan for the future, an exit strategy. It's called heaven. And we have hope no matter what this world throws at us. And, and, and that's why the word of God is so important. A couple of verses from Scripture, so when Psalm 119 talks about the Word of God, "I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you." Psalm 119:105. "Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path." Some of you have made horrible choices, just for the very simple reason that you've not allowed God's word to direct your path. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. The psalmist is saying that this this book is worth more than gold. Do most of us believe that? You say, well, I, I think so. Well, how's it going with the reflecting? If we think it's gold, then why aren't we using it? Here's the main point. The only way to think right is to reflect daily on his words. The Psalm, uh, The psalmist in Psalm 1 basically says, I reflect upon this day and night, and it gives me hope, and it helps me to rise above the circumstances, and it shows me there's a God in heaven that loves me. It shows me there's, he's got a plan and a purpose for his life. And it reminds me that he gave his life for me. So if he gave his life, everything else is gravy after that. It tells me that he's preparing a place for me. All these things are found in the Scripture. So I reflect upon them day and life. They're my meat. They're my bread. They're my, es- uh, my sustenance. You know, even Jesus was a man of sorrows. But he was never in despair. Isaiah fifty three says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom we men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was he was in the garden, I, I think it is fair to say that he was a man of sorrows. He wept drops of blood he wept. But he wasn't in despair. Paul puts this in other words, what I really want you to hear is this the psalmist isn't saying Oh, let's just grin and bear it. Let's just imagine that this life is good and everything Then when we go in and the doctor says you have cancer you just smile and say thank you No, he's saying this life is hard but you can rise above the circumstances and you can find a different perspective and you can find a different power because there's a different power that comes within you when you call upon the Lord and your roots go deep you connect to the vine and you have a different perspective you have a different power you have a different way of looking at this life and you can have happiness in the midst of whatever circumstances there are peter or excuse me paul summarizes in second corinthians 4 close with this verse We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that, from that, that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Paul basically saying is, life is hard, but it's not going to destroy us. It's not going to take our joy. In fact, it's going to be a testimony to the rest of the world that it's getting knocked around and just doesn't have a clue. Because we do have a clue. We meditate on this day and night. It's become our source of encouragement been our source of stability our source of perspective our source of hope source of salvation it's all of that to us and we are blessed when we avail ourselves to what it says it's worth more than gold that's what psalm one has to say to us this morning would you stand with me father as we gather Together this morning, around your word, we pray that you would, through your spirit, speak to each one of our hearts in the way that we need to hear it, that uh, you would help us to rise above our circumstances, not because we grin and bear it, not because we deny the uh, severity of our, our, what we're going through, but that we acknowledge that there is someone who walks with us, somebody who empowers us, someone who gives us a different perspective, someone that we can sink our roots deep to and find. Refreshing, hope, happiness. It's you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.